Hello and welcome to episode five of No Blueprint featuring Andrea Menard. She is an award-winning singer, songwriter, actress, but not only that, she is a self-proclaimed goddess and part of the rise of the sacred feminine as well as owner and founder of the Sacred Feminine Learning Lodge. Andrea Menard, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh, Justin, I am so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So grateful. So first, um, you know, I want to make sure I pay homage and thank the creator for this moment in time for us to connect. Uh, I'm really grateful for this whole new blueprint series and the relationships I get to connect with. So I'm grateful for the creator for allowing this to happen for us to meet for us to cross paths the way we have and uh, connect here today. I also want to thank our, our audience for tuning in on all platforms. Uh, I think, you know, as, as much as our guest is important, so is the audience. So I want to make sure I pay homage and thank all of our audience and our listeners out there. And I want to pay homage to the territory that I reside out on. I'm, I'm here on the traditional territory of the Algonquin people. Mm. So I wanted to make sure I pay homage and respect to our Algonquin uh, relatives out here. And uh, of course, again, I will emphasize um, before we got started, I was letting Andrea Menard know how starstruck I am to have her here today. So again, to our guest, Andrea, thank you for being part of this No Blueprint series. It's my honor, my friend. You're doing great work. So happy to share. First question I'd like to ask you is really um, more or less of a personal question and just to check in with you and see how are you doing through these COVID times. Um, it's really crazy out there. And so I just wanted to check in with you and see how are you doing through this quarantine moment? Yeah, well, um, the first three weeks were rough. Um, I lost every gig in sight and I was supposed to host two retreats in Hawaii. Bam, everything got canceled. So it was pretty brutal. But um, at being a creative person and being someone who's here to help facilitate the rise of the sacred feminine, I went inward and man, I'm on the other side of the birthing canal. So all the pain Ooh. and blood and sweat, <laughs> that's, I'm on this side now. And I see the beauty of what mother earth has in store for us. And there's not going to be going back to normal. There's, we're creating a new normal. And I think that's very, very good news. There's a lot of suffering going on, a lot of fear, but I think it's a collective trauma that is being um, invited to be dealt with. We don't, we got to deal with that collective trauma so that it doesn't get stuck in our lineages again. We just got to keep, we got to deal. We got to go inside. We got to hang in there and, and rise up to be our best self for each other, for ourselves and each other. Amazing. Yeah. I appreciate you sharing that. And I think uh, that's what's really interesting for me, reflecting on what you're saying about connecting with amazing artists in so many different um, industries, you know, not just in music and, and uh, you know, film and movies, but also in design and fashion. Um, you know, being creative through these COVID times seems to be our go-to outlet. And mm -hmm. I think that's so amazing. Um, and I think some of the other people that I've spoken to, they also uh, kind of touched on the fact that this is a unique way for uh, a spiritual awakening as well, where people have to really dig deep within themselves and rebalance and, and look at their situation and kind of find themselves in it again, because this world has been so busy for so long. It's kind of a nice break for it to kind of just switch off and for us to collect ourselves and rebalance. So 
I love what you had to say about going with inside yourself and finding that balance and using your creative outlets to, you know, get through these COVID times. So that's really cool. Yeah. And there's where, where does creativity live inside? Mm, inside. You know, it's not it, it's inside first and then gets manifested. Everything goes into the womb of creation first. And then, so we got to go inside to create a new world. Straight up. Listen, I'm going to emphasize to our audience, I want you to be ready for this conversation. Um, Andrea Menard is an amazing human being with incredible insight. And uh, you'll take this in. We're going to go to a different realm. I think being able to talk to you, I'm, I'm so much looking forward to the type of language that we can um, have a conversation, you know, tapping into things, energy, um, you know, all of these different frequencies that have a different language to it. I think learning about your journey and a lot of the stuff that you've done, I'm really looking forward to that as well. So before we dive too deep, though, I'd love for us to kind of back up just a second and share with us um, where are your parents from and where, where did you grow up? Well, I was a typical Métis kid and we moved around a lot. I was born in Flin Flon and my father is from Fisher Branch around uh, like Treaty, well, a lot of the reserves are Treaty 5, but in Treaty 2 territory in Manitoba. My mom's family is English, Irish, and Icelandic, and they um, are islanders who, who ended up living in Flin Flon. So both, uh, you know, live in Manitoba. I didn't live there for very long. I moved around a lot as a kid following my dad, you know, so a little nomadic, creative man my father was. Um, and we're so I, I ended up living across the prairie provinces and never really feeling connection to uh home per se until much later and my parents now live back where my dad is from and i lived in saskatchewan for 30 years and now i'm living in um in vancouver so i've been in the coast salish territories for eight years now and and uh finding home once again <laughs> fascinating i can relate to you in a couple ways um the first way is i actually grew up in manitoba myself i'm just mm. from winnipeg oh, yeah. so we're from the same province in that sense and then my first nation community is actually in saskatchewan it's uh ocean man first nation it's close ocean. to stelton yeah. so it just seems like uh, our energy frequencies and our relationship to the land kind of resonate as well oh that prairie oh the prairie yeah, right definitely 100 yeah. <laughs> percent um, so on that note, um, just kind of tapping into your past a little bit, what is one of your favorite earliest childhood memories, the first one that comes to mind? I have, um, first of all, my dad was the king of the kitchen party. So watching my mom harmonize with my dad and my dad sort of take the stage around the kitchen table those are good memories because I just started learning to harmonize, you know, cause dad was the star. So there was no taking the stage from dad. I mean, occasionally he'd give, he, you know, I'd, I'd sing Mary had a little lamb or something, <laughs> but, you know, learning to harmonize and learning how to be supportive to his star and, and mom's beautiful harmonies was a beautiful memory. And just watching the love of the family of extended family and friends who really loved my dad loved those moments and another one is on my mom's side of the family we had a cabin that we had to get to by boat on lake athapapascow in in flinflon and there was no no power there was you had it was like 
the closest to living off the land that I had experienced to date. And, you know, because my dad was very urban, you know, he'd lived and worked in, not that he was major urban, but he lived in towns and cities. But when we would go to this cabin, it was the first time that I really heard the waters sing and the birds and, and have no noise. And I recognize how sensitive I was to my environment and why I had so many layers of defense. Ah, so that when you were just in nature, I went, wow, nothing's hitting me. This is just incredible. And I, you know, it was the first time I wrote a song and it was the first time, you know, I, I drove a boat and swam in the middle of a lake and all those, all those beautiful memories that are associated with the land and the, and the natural elements. Amazing. That's so beautiful. And one of the other questions, and if you need any context here, by all means, ask me. Um, but I wanted to know, when did you start learning about your identity and who you are as a human being? Well, I, you know, obviously how I look, I'm very light skinned and so was my dad. And he married a, a very blue eyed, dark haired woman and, you know, white woman. And so identity was just something in, you know, in my teens, I started to recognize I started to recognize that there was a split and I didn't really understand much of it. I didn't understand how I fit in it. You know, I knew I was Métis, but that didn't mean anything like it does now. I didn't have that. It was just, that's who you were, whatever, you know, but it was like saying, well, I have dark hair. You know, it, it was just a fact, but there wasn't a lot of, you know, some families were really, you know, political or, 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 you know, had activists or had had something that really held them to their identity. And I, and I didn't, ours was music. Music was our identity sort of, and, you know, didn't really have close friends until I or have close friends and then I'd move away. And, you know, so for me, that question started to happen when I started to recognize what racist comments were mm. and how they fit me and how they didn't fit me. I'm like, what you know so um it was definitely it was definitely something i developed you know as an identity and then it was a crisis because once i started to step into that role people shoved me into roles that i went whoa i don't speak whoa i don't speak for people i, I don't speak for anyone but me and mm. it was a very confusing time and my my one woman show the velvet devil was was my looking at it because you know you have a few little talents and all of a sudden you get a little bit of notoriety and then everyone wants that you to be this and I went I, I don't know if I fit that <laughs> you know so it was a very you know when you're young you don't quite have a voice yet and I didn't have a voice yet to articulate any of this stuff um but I grew into it and and each of the experiences got me you know I became stronger stronger about who I am um so yeah, does that answer your question? Yeah, definitely. I love actually how you described music as the identity mm -hmm. earlier on for you. Like that makes so much sense. And um, when you said that, it actually made me quickly reflect over my own musical career and how music was actually my outlet where I learned more about my identity as well. Mm -hmm. you know? And like the first time um, for me that this whole historical context of 
what was done to us, not who we are, but what was done to us, a very important distinction to make, mm -hmm. was during the TRC's first national event uh, in 2008 at the Forks. And I'm there as sports tent coordinator. So I worked, I was working on the, with the team and working behind the scenes. And so I got to kind of dive a little bit deeper in the intentions behind the event. Mm. But looking over at like so many amazing indigenous people gather at the Forks and being part of such an amazing national apology for what took place mm -hmm. was my moment where I was like, what does all of this mean? Like all of my grandmothers attended residential school. So I had to know what was going on. So I appreciate that you made the reference to music as your identity growing up, because it was my music that allowed me to channel that energy and explore these topics. So I relate to that in a, in a major way. That's amazing. And, you know, the generation that you're coming from, as opposed to mine, is that, you know, there was a, there's a real awakening that has happened amongst our young people that I'm really excited to see. There's a real ownership that, you know, it took it it took a little bit of um courage for my generation a little older to walk in so fully walk in so um with such voice and the young people have such voice and pride which you know just thrills me to no end but to see the change from just 30 years ago of what that looked like and then you know think of our parents my parents 30 years before that you know so wow really exciting to see That's your amazing. you have a different landscape amazing insight honestly like you've been in this game for so long and you know it's like you have an amazing career i mean we're talking five time gemini award uh, nominee you won the 2008 award a uh, 15 time music award winner um this is incredible so i wanted you to to take us back to the first award that you won was it the 2005 for uh your album simple steps western canadian music awards because that was the earliest date that i could find yeah. because then there's your acting career which is 2006 best actress for american indian movie award yeah. um for best ensemble so what well, was the first wow award? check you out uh <laughs> <laughs> that's good research yeah. um what was the first i may have gotten nominated for a western canadian music award for my velvet devil mm. album um but it was a jazzy album so it was kind of a weird fit um in the indigenous category the aboriginal category um i think 2005 was a big year for me i got a whole bunch of nominations as an actor as my album and it and, and it was a pretty overwhelming year and i i i don't know if i felt worthy of any of it i think i kind of went ah! so i think it, you know there was just so many in a row in in that I, I think it was an an october and november just splat of about four or five awards ceremonies and they were the weirdest thing to be going i don't even know what any of this means this isn't why I did this, but is it why I did this? You know, does this matter? Look at these awards. Look at these things. You know, it was the strangest year of my life. Wow. A big year, but yeah, 2005, I think it was a big year. Wow. Very odd. Um, so how did you navigate that feeling of, you know, that uncertainty of, of being acknowledged for the work that you've done? How did you navigate that? I don't know if I handled it very well, to tell you the truth. Hmm. 
back then I didn't realize that I was an introvert at heart. I just thought, you know, because I'm very capable of being out in the world, but it exhausts me and I can, I, I can get a little crazy. So back then I didn't recognize that about myself. So I wondered why I just went into hiding afterwards. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I did, I went into hiding practically. Um, and I, that's funny, you know, I think I actually went into a, a spiral of really wondering what that meant of what it all meant. And I found that, um, that I may have come out of it when I, when I hosted or I performed on the, the, um, well, at the time they were the national Aboriginal achievement awards or the right. inspire award. Maybe that was like a gig soon after that, maybe the next big award show I did. And I went, Oh, this makes much more sense. These people are doing work that is really changing the world. I want to be at these events. I don't know if like singing, is this really right that, you know, I had a, it was a really interesting question about what these award shows did to our egos. Right. And, and if I really wanted to be, if I, if I needed it, or if it was just a, um, an accident that happened because of the work I did. And I went, I started to question that boat at the inspire awards. I went, oh, see these folks really earned it. Oh my gosh. Oh, you know, it was a real crisis in, I don't know if this is good enough for me. I don't wow. know if this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah. Super interesting. So that kind of uh, leads me into a question that I've been um, having a discussion with every guest is how do you take care of your mental health? You know, especially in such a fast paced industry um, mm -hmm. with so much going on, um, even the crabs in the bucket situation, when you're only trying to do your best and tell your story, like, how do you manage your emotions and your mental health in the mm -hmm. career that you've had? I, the way I did it, you know, is, I mean, I have many, many tools and I reuse them and I discover new tools and I ask for, you know, I'm always using tools to, to ground myself, to um, amplify my, my own self-empowerment, you know, all of those things. But one, one tool I think I did automatically without recognizing that I had done it for a, as a safety valve was I never fully dove into one genre. As you can tell, I've got a lot of things going on. True. So I could never be a full-time musician, singer, because I need quiet and, and amplified music every single day of my life would have just drove me insane. <laughs> and I went, oh, is that why I can't see again, didn't realize I was an introvert, but I had built in, you know, um, I never went on tour, like some artists who are constantly on tour. I never did that. And I don't think I could have handled it. So there was that. And because I had acting, so I would be on a film set during festival season. So, oh, I'm an actor. Oh, I can't go and do that. And, or I would do a Christmas, you know, or a holiday tour or something like that, because um, it, it broke up the touring time. And then as an actor, um, I would break up that with theater and then theater with film and then um, and then back to music. And then on those when those industries were quiet, I would be writing. So I had, I had all wow. these things to play with that, that when one was loud, the other ones got quiet. When the other one, when one got, you know, active, the other ones got quiet. So I never bought in fully into any one industry, which could have um, been a problem, which mm -hmm. could have 
been detrimental to my career in some way it could have. I mean, and maybe it has been, um, but that has been my safety goal. That has helped me with my mental health because I never got, when one quiet, when one was quiet, something else would rise up and I would get to focus in a creative way to that. Does that, does that make sense? Wow. Honestly, like it's, it's so therapeutic to listen to you. And I say that because it might just be that I relate to you in those facets that you're, you're talking about. It might be because I relate to some of those facets in the sense that I've been dabbling in so many different things myself and hearing what you're saying is just helping me realize these things. And that's what I mean by therapeutic. Like I don't realize a lot of the things that I maybe have experienced until I'm hearing it from somebody else articulating in the beautiful yeah. way that you have. So um, that's amazing. So I think if I can encourage uh, people to not shy away from exploring different facets of their creativity you know if you want to be an artist and a musician do that if you want to try acting do that if you want to try art visual art do that if you want to try podcast or content creation do that and totally. i think it allows you that freedom so that when one gets quiet you can you know dive deeper into the others and that makes so much sense when it comes to that was your response to mental health and mm -hmm. I think that's super important because we're living in such a fast paced world when it comes to like social media. And if you're not getting the likes or you're not getting the love on all of your social media, that could probably drive somebody crazy if that's your sole, you know, outlet for your music career. And that's the only way you're going to make bread and butter. So that is an amazing way to put it in the sense of your mental health. You know, another way that I used to look at myself now, again, when I was younger, I, I, it was acting and singing. And when they go, and I'd always get asked, which one do you like better? And I go, mm. I can't just, they're both me. One wow. is like my God voice or my spirit voice. And the other one is me being able to ask the questions, the deep hum, human nature questions, they go together. And then when I started writing, there was three and then when I realized that that spiritual messenger or the, the speaker or the ambassador or whatever, you know, the woman who's the speaker now, um, I realized that, oh, of course, I've always been four. I've been four parts of a medicine wheel. Wow. Ah, that's why I'm never just wow. one. I can't be one. I've always been four. And it was just that when two parts were active, the other two, like in the last couple of years, they've had to grow and catch up to the first two, the actor and singer. So it's mm. like I'm building all parts of my four, my four parts of the medicine wheel. So I have to be balanced. Damn. <laughs> Listen, you're making me reflect on the uh i forget what it was exactly but you were sharing about those four voices and you were going through them and you were sharing it i think it was uh, a retreat or a workshop that you were doing oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah like that was so powerful when you broke that down that those that this physical this is your tool set you know you have a voice you got feelings a mind a spirit this is your tool set mm -hmm. and so i think that's another way to i think connect with that medicine wheel is it doesn't have to necessarily be something you look at all the time it could be mm -hmm. something of that who you are right it's it's oh, part yeah. of your human being so i think that's incredible and actually i wanted to ask you um and i think you've answered it but i was going to ask you what was your first love singing or acting <laughs> yeah no i mean the first 
un, singing just came naturally to me. So that was something, acting was something I had to learn that you were allowed to do. Like, oh, mm. theater exists? What is that? You know, I mean, I had to learn what it was, but they were always who I am. I'm, if I were to say it in the bigger view, I'm an expresser. Mm. So there, however I'm being asked to express is how I'm, is who I am. Amazing. You know? So let's go back to the Velvet Devil for a second, because people need to know that you um, have writing credits on that and you also starred in it. Um, and it's a one woman musical stage play. Yeah. So share with us, what is it like being a writer and a star with, uh, in something? Because I think that's interesting to juggle and what your experience was like creating the Velvet Devil. Well, I, I used to say that the Velvet Devil was my emancipator. She was this character that started to haunt me. And she was, she was maybe a personality in me that wanted to be a star, where I didn't. <laughs> but this character, Velvet Devil, was a star from the 1940s. Like she was this jazz goddess, you know? And, but this when I was given the picture and that when I was given her story, I saw a play, a CD and a movie all mm -hmm. I, like at, when I was given the whole package, I was like, Oh, wow. Oh, okay, cool. Thinking, Oh, I'll just whip those off and do those things because they showed me the success of it. You know, the grandmothers showed me the success of it. And I thought, Oh, that'll be easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah right not easy because I was this green girl from the bush kind of you know I didn't know anything about any of the industries and those three things the play the radio play the cd and the movie were four different industries right <laughs> and I knew nothing about any of them and I had to write it and oh sorry and fifth industry who knows how to write like what are you talking about Facts. so I went I literally went okay if I'm supposed to write this I literally had a fight with God or the creator or whoever <laughs> literally had a fight and said okay if I'm supposed to write this then you uh, you have to write it because if it's supposed to be here I don't know what I'm doing so you have to write it and I got really mad <laughs> and and uh, and as soon as I would I would show up to the page and songs came out and I went, well, I thought it was a play. Jeez, oh, you know, so I'm writing songs like, well, I don't know how to write. Who am I going to, I don't know how to write music. So who am I going to write this with? And then I met my co-writer, Robert Walsh, who ended up being my longtime collaborator. But, you know, everything was a struggle because I was so stubborn and so dumb, <laughs> like beautifully ignorant about the whole thing. So I would walk blindly in expecting to be helped but also uh you know because i didn't know anything I, I it was pretty brutal sometimes i got some really hard lessons in there so first of all writing it was hard writing the music and then having to raise money to do this and you know i'd never written a grant in my life so all of these Holy. all of these incredible doors had to be opened in or order for the next thing to occur and if I was too frightened or, oh, I don't know how, you know, I would, I wasn't the bravest. Some people just bash through those doors. I was not one of them. I was very uh, frightened of expansion, even though I longed for it. I was also, every time I had to expand a new or I take on a new knowledge, I would, I would actually get frightened. 
So I'd have to overcome another fear, another fear, another fear. So it feels like the velvet double was, and it was 10 years, not just, oh, whip those off in two. Wow. 10 year journey of this, of my expansion. And she set me free. She literally launched me into all of those industries and in a successful way. So my that, goodness, if it wasn't for her, I would awful. still be, I don't know, not here. Holy. <laughs> Listen, there's two things that came to mind when you were sharing. Um, the first one is that I, I want to kind of emphasize what you were saying and where the vel velvet devil came from is that it came from creation in the way that you were articulating it. You're talking to creator and those visions came and you're like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And he opened up all these doors for you. So I want creators to um, take that in for a second and realize that you have to make room in your being to receive those messages. And I learned that from Andrew Menard. I learned that from doing this research that you have to allow yourself to be opened up to be able to receive those messages from your ancestors or from the creator. And those messages that you receive is going to guide you into that next phase in order to take you to where you're supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So that was the first thing that came to mind when you were sharing. And the last thing I wanted to ask you was more of a question. How did you overcome those fears that you were encountering through that process? Well, again, back then, I didn't know myself as well as I know myself now. And as an expressor, um, I would um, be overloaded and overwhelmed very easy. And I, I finally realized that one way that helped me, um, one way that helped me uh, settle down was to cry. I'm a crier. So that is one way every time I would be overwhelmed, 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 cry and do <laughs> and cry and walk through the door. <laughs> it was just, just this thing I went through and I didn't recognize what that overwhelm was. People who are highly sensitive. And if you have never read the, heard that term or read the book, the highly sensitive person changed my life. I went, oh, is that our nervous systems are a little bit more challenged than people who are much more in the, you know, in the world. I take in every ounce of knowledge, you know, through my nervous system and it overwhelms me. So um, crying is a big one. And, you know, my, my dream is so big. My vision is so big. I, I'm given a big vision. And so I know how beautiful it is and I know how great it is. And I just know I have to take the steps. So I get overwhelmed, but I take the steps anyway. I get overwhelmed, but I take the steps anyway. And mm. I cry a lot. Amazing. Yo, I still crying do. Is, crying is medicine. Oh, you better believe it. Right? But take the steps anyway. Absolutely. So you're allowed to feel afraid. Oh, but part take of the whole the steps, deal. But take the steps anyway. Yeah. That's a huge takeaway right there. That's incredible. Okay, so let's dive a little bit more into some of your acting career because I was extremely, first of all, let me rephrase this. I binged watched in two days a three season series called Moccasin Flats. <laughs> I binged. Now, if people haven't seen it, you need to go see it. First of all, it's a classic, but it's still very relevant today. And this is years later. So I wanted to, to hear from you what your experiences was like working on set for such an impactful series like Moccasin Flats. 
Mm. Well, it was Big Soul Productions, two yes. indigenous women at the helm. Yes. First TV series produced, directed, acted by an all indigenous team. That's Tell a them. huge deal. And ABTN was brand new back then. So it was mm. like, all of a sudden we had, we had help to say, okay, we want to hear these stories. It was about indigenous youth in, in Regina, Moccasin Flats, right? It was a big deal. And of course I had never been so supported. Like I was with my community and with right. one of my best friends, Jennifer Badamski, like, come on. Yeah. And Michelle Thrush and, and, and Laura, you know, just so many amazing people, right? And and I found that when you're in, uh, when you're supported, man, you can help each other rise up because we may not have all been that experienced yet, but boy, we were sure experienced by the end of it. We had all gained skills, knowledge experience that now we could compete on a national level at least for me and being from Saskatchewan at the time you know I needed that extra experience so yeah it was remarkable wow. and and I don't know if people know this because there were lesbian characters on Canadian screens but this was the first lead indigenous lesbian period in the Canadian television ever Damn. like a lead character a lead role Wow. So, you know, we made history. History multiple times in different ways. Right? Listen, like, that series was incredible. Like, <laughs> the first thing that I thought of after watch taking in that last episode and sitting back and being like, damn, that was some gangster shit right there. <laughs> That's It was so gangster. That's how I felt. But so real, so deep, and so intentional in the stories that are being told. Um, missing and murdered Indigenous women, like so many um, and important topics that I had to ask you about because especially during that time, you know, and the era of what that context was like when we're discussing indigeneity and feeling that pride to be Indigenous and coming out and having a voice. So I had to ask you about Moccasin Flats. Was there any similarities or comparisons to um, how you felt doing Blackstone? Well, because it was Moccasin Flats, I was there the entire time. So that was a that was a family unit. And for me, mm -hmm. Blackstone, I came in and out. You know what I mean? I wouldn't be there for the full. I wasn't one of the leads where I was there for the entire show. But of course, because it was mostly, you know, indigenous created and indigenous acted and and produced and directed, there was that family feel again. There was that unit. But again, Moccasin Flats was my first experience with it. And I was there all the time. So I got to, uh, you know, I have been so blessed to be on Indigenous productions. It, they are the best. <laughs> We're like, we got some seriously talented storytellers. Yes. So when, whew, when you are a part of a family like that, there's nothing like it in Blackstone you know, and now of course, tribal is their next, yeah. uh, you know, so there is, there's nothing like it. And I've been very blessed. Fascinating. So that leads into my next question was how, in your perspective, has the industry, the film industry evolved when it comes to indigenous representation? Oh, very slowly. Mm. Oh, very slowly. I've heard that before, actually. 
it's when you see all see back when we were just wanting to be on screen like just we just want to get on screen you know that everyone had energy to fight the good fight or just to, to to just be there and do our part but now there's a shift in consciousness and a lot of the people who've been fighting the good fight are tired mm. of of explaining the same old why that's inappropriate, why that's racist, why that's, you know, it's just been it over and over and over. Why, um, why we got to start saying a new narrative. And it's, hmm. it's just taking longer, because the people in power are still of the majority are not native. And, and I know that's going to change i know that the energy young people still have the energy to do it mm. and they have voices to do it right whereas people my age and older you know not that they're getting burnt out <laughs> but they're getting burnt out you know like it's an exhausting fight because every still having to justify why our something is inappropriate or this doesn't work or this is just bullshit um having to defend it still is exhausting how can and it get better changing the people in power <laughs> mm. <laughs> just get it talk you to them. get it nice so yeah so those who have energy come on step up get in those positions of power learn those skills mm. and get in those positions of power produce produce executive direct do those things man we need mm, you <laughs> listen preach trust me um so i love what you're saying because even in regards to moccasin flats and the significance of coming out with the series during that time and era coming all the way now to 2020 creating uh, or being involved with tribal and i found it um exhausting myself like they're having trouble just reusing a different word and saying indigenous that was kind of the tone the tonality in the early stage of the series it was like oh sorry it's indigenous now isn't it i was just like yo how have you not caught up yet so i appreciate that that insight in regards to you know it's exhausting at the same time but like you've been saying we got to fight the good fight it's the only game in town <laughs> well, but you know like i i tend to look at it from a spiritual perspective because yes. i can't not mm -hmm. and to me when an elder from sagging first nation um the from the turtle lodge dave Crashane, leading Earthman, is his name um he coined the term for me when he had an indigenous gather an elders gathering back in 2012 and they coined the term for me now is the time of the rise of the sacred feminine and i just went boom <gasps> that's everything i am that's everything i've been doing that's who i am right that's what my role is so it was huge but when i look at the fight and the good fight you know I, even the word fight i mm. i want to take that away makes sense because because the rise of the sacred feminine to me means it's the rise of the voice that has not been heard Everything, every community that has been left out of the systems on this planet are being called to speak up, are being called to join the circle. So the systems are a whole bunch of boxes that are 
crumbling are having to morph into circles (laughs) and they're and they're gonna scream as they morph and die right Mm. so our systems are still very much boxy and linear and and out of balance Mm. so everything that has been left out of those systems needs to come back in and be welcomed so you're going to see the indigenous voice rise up you're going to see the voice of the woman through me too movement through the national inquiry into the indigenous you know to the missing and murdered indigenous women rise up you're going to see the two-spirited trans and queer community rise up you're going to see the men the environmental movement rise up right and the heart-centered leaders, the one who want balance in, you know, and that's the men, heart-centered leaders, nurturing fathers, that's going to rise up. Mm. People who are honoring their emotions, emotional expression, intuitive, creative, receiving, it's going to rise up. Wow. Everything that's been left out needs to come home to the circle. Mm. It's got to find its way home. Mm-hmm. And speaking of young people and the rise up of, of the sacred feminine, one thing that I stumbled across that we both experienced was the Rita Joe I Lost My Talk project. And that was with the NAC back in, I think, 2016. Wow. You were part of uh, the Nipawak, right? The Nipawak yeah. in Edmonton, Alberta. Yes. And I was, uh, I was uh, in Kitty Ganzibi and I did Ishko Day. And then Ishko Day, I was teamed up with uh, with Mo Clark. She was one of the she was involved as well. So I was just like, wow. So speaking of, you know, our young people rising up, um, what was that experience like working with on that project? Oh, my gosh. And and I always, you know, because I don't play an instrument. So sometimes I'm I'm not as effective going. Yeah, yeah. Just play this chord. So Robert Walsh is my longtime collaborator. And we did that together. And and I tell you, just watching ah synergy as you said the word synergy Mm. with um there is so much creativity in our young in our youth who are just ah bursting at the seams needing to create and wanting to create and knowing that they have permission like just do it find any way you can to create and the song they ended up building together oh my god it was so did it not blow you away like when i was involved with that project um, that was probably the first time I actually ever did uh, a youth songwriting workshop. And I went in there not knowing what to expect. And I had uh, a classroom of, you know, a small handful of young people who had the courage to show up, whether yes. it was against their will or not, they were there really shy and awkward, but they delivered, they participated. It was uncomfortable, but they shared what they could. And I was so blown away because I write my own music and we wrote a chorus and two verses in like less than two hours. I was like, do all y'all know that this is an amazing session right here? And then, uh, so that was an incredible experience. And then I'm just, um, you know, reflecting on what you're saying, how incredible it was. They came to Ottawa to perform at the NAC because it was held by the NAC. And so this was the first time I was going to hear any of them perform. And I'm sure it was the first time for a lot of them to ever perform. And they killed it. They Mm -hmm. killed it. They shut it down. I was just like, wow, look at our young people shine. They started off shy and nervous and doing something they've never done before. They stepped out of their shell. And now look at the wings they have. Oh, Oh, it was incredible. 
so amazing. So shout out to the NAC for the Rita Joe. I lost my talk. That was super amazing. I wanted to get into your TEDx Stanley Park mm-hmm. um, speak, speech that you did. Um, and I, I hesitated to say speech because it was more or less of your story. And, you know, it was about being silent no more. And that's about speaking up um, against, you know, violence against women, Indigenous women specifically. And, you know, by all means, um, when I ask your, the question, share with us as much as you'd like about that story, because um, that's your story to tell, honestly. And I was so moved by that, uh, by what you shared. And I wanted to hone in on the story that you talked about with your dog, Shady, and how she fell into the water. And you had to dive in after her, bring her back to shore. And she was running around barking. And then you said the crows came in and they were crowing. And there was like nature showed up and they're all harmonizing. And then you made the point where that's where it clicked for you where you're like, that was just shady, you know, voicing and shaking off her fear using her voice. And nature came and showed up to support her. And that's when it clicked for you, where you found your voice too. And then you howled, and then nature showed up for you. And I thought that was so beautiful in, in you sharing that. And I, I, it resonated with me so deeply. And so I wanted to ask you, how do you tap into the courage and the bravery it takes to share your story and your, so, your truth so raw and so real publicly? Well, you know, that story I, I had told, you know, to everyone around me probably knew it, but you're right. Taking it from your friends and family know it to a big stage I, I struggled with that, you know, it was about my experience for those who haven't seen it It is about me coming out and me telling my story about how I suffered sexual violence when I was 13. Um, And, you know, that was just one story I had, you know, because you only have this amount of time, I had four stories that sort of had to morph into that story. So it's like, I had to put two things together. Um, And I have you know, so that was me telling my story about how my voice was choked and how all these feelings, it just got locked into a ball. And for me, um, I had forgotten what that feeling of a hot burning throat felt like, where it's, it's like your truth is, is burning a hole in your throat wanting to come out. And I'd forgotten what that felt like because it was 20, 30 years ago when it happened. And I it came back while I was writing this. It came back. And it, and it was happening around the Me Too movement. In a way, I was already about to do this when the Me Too movement happened. I went, because I almost went, I don't want this to be my message. I don't want this to be my message. I don't want to talk about this. Well, of course, I don't want to talk about it. You know, no one wants to talk about sexual violence because it's such a joyful topic. It sucks. And it's painful. And it's, and it's, shameful and embarrassing all those things that felt that I felt back when I was 13 and 12 and 14 and 15 came back and so you know I realized that I was wrestling I don't want to talk about this subject but the subject was picking me you know the subject was choosing me and again the grandmothers I'm like seriously 
<laughs> so I'm writing it and I'm surrendering to it because that's what I've agreed to do here on this planet is okay, I'm not doing anything unless it has a purpose. You know, I'm not doing this for my ego. If I'm doing it for my ego, then I'm out. And that show this topic chose me. So when I started writing it, I started getting all those feelings again of shame and uh, and wanting to hide and and this burning lump in my throat came back. And I went, oh, oh God, this is so important. I am needing to remember what this feels like so I can help others who are feeling it right now wow. feel theirs. And of course, that's why I talk about Shady, because Shady didn't have shame around her feeling of fear and almost dying or, you know, she didn't have, like the nature doesn't have trapped fear in our lineage in their lineages. We trap it because, you know, like I, when I do exercises, when I do workshops with people, I talk about opening up this whole front body. And when and, you know, and that means our throat too. And most of the time when something happens, we go whoop and we close in around as though there's a ball and we close in around it and it stays there until we release it, until we open up again. And then we wonder why we sob and cry and have these meltdowns later on in life. Well, that day on the riverbank for me, I had been triggered into fear because I'd almost lost my dog, but she was frightened too. And we handled it so differently. And I went, oh. Yeah, this is this is the work I'm here to do, the expressor. Mm. I'm here to help people express because most people have experienced fear. And look, we're in this COVID time full of fear. And what's happening? It's probably getting stuck again. <laughs> mm. We gotta open up, we gotta <sighs> open up our throats. We can't get let this stuff get stuck. We gotta be like nature. We gotta listen to nature and we gotta open up. Mm. So yeah. That was Amazing. my experience all over again, totally. but it was so worth it. My goodness. The strength that you carry on your shoulders, I think is, is remarkable hmm. and you carry it and you make it look so light. You know what I mean? Like you, you laugh and you smile and you're positive about it. And I'm just, I'm so inspired by you, Andrea. And I just want to thank you for everything that you've been sharing with us so far. Hmm. Um, I wanted to transition into your YouTube channel, because it's all tying into what you're talking about right now. And for those who don't know, Andrew Menard is a content creator, like she has content that goes back years. And so it's an amazing thing. And I actually felt like I was every time I watched one of those episodes, I felt like I was going through a therapy session 101 in five to seven minutes. It was super amazing. But I watched so just to kind of give our audience a little bit more context, she has uh, an ongoing series called Messages from the Patchwork Grandmothers, and she's just sharing her insight. I watched the Let Go of Victimhood. Mm -hmm. That one really resonated. Embrace Your Feminine and how you identified the difference between male energy and female energy. And no matter which way you want to go, we all have female energy in us. And that really resonated with me as well. And then Love the Skin You're In, have a belly laugh. But this is the one that really, I think I wanted to emphasize is the one that you talked about, you deserve your dream. Mm. And I bring that up because it, it reminded me of experience that I had in university in uh, an Aboriginal studies class. I read a book um, co-written by George Siwi 
And he talked about when you receive visions, that's the creator giving you guidance. And the way that you put it, Andrew Menard, in that series was your dreams are your blueprint. And so I was reflecting with uh, Raven Commando, shout out to Raven Commando. She's been helping me out with a lot of this quality assurance. And she was like, that, that's the blueprint. Andrew Menard, episode five, has helped us find the blueprint. And the blueprint is to follow your dreams, is mm -hmm. to allow those visions. So that's not something simple, though, because you go into it in, that, in that, those series that you have to allow yourself to go, get quiet in order for you to hear those whispers, in order for you to hear those voices. So what was the inspiration behind messages um, from the Patchwork Grandmothers? Mm, that's a good, I haven't been asked that in a while. Um, I was given a name, Notagoyutin, which means Grandmother Wind in Cree. And I had been given that name and I went, uh, Grandmother Wind? Like that's an elder's name what the heck what? <laughs> you know, again meltdown and right. i put it on the back burner for four years i'm like yeah whatever and then i went to hawaii and i don't know what that land did to me mm, and i came home grandmother wind it's like alcohol left not that i drank that much but left my life you know all these things that i went what happened and i it's like the grandmothers and they started coming to me in funny ways. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like I'm going, oh, that's why I keep making these, these patchwork quilts. You guys like are literally grannies. Like you like patchwork quilt and doilies. I'm like, you guys are like, oh my gosh, you're actual grannies. <laughs> you're not just like wise grandmothers. You're like grannies with their tea and their patchwork quilts and their crocheted. I went, no, I love that shit, man. Straight up. So anyway, wow. once I embraced that part and I, I made a promise that I was going to start to get to know them and whoever was like, whoever I always called them grandmothers or, you know, the ones whispering to me, but who were they? And I recognized that they were a way they were, you know, when I focused in, I'm like, Oh, you guys are like all over the place. You, you know, have a couple of, you know, real short Métis woman, you know, another Cree woman and a white woman, probably from my mom's side. I'm like, who are you, Granny? So there were patchwork, you know, there were a whole bunch of personalities. And anyway, um, so I started to, and as a test to myself, because as an actress, I always wanted to look amazing when I was on film. And I just thought, no, you know what? I got to get over that. I just want to be real. And so I would just turn the camera on and go, hi, it's me. And that was before live necessarily i knew what live was and i don't really still don't really know what live is yeah you do today you do today <laughs> i mean I, yeah i'm still kind of nerdy at it. but um it was my way of just saying well show up and see see what what your thoughts have been about what the grandmothers have been whispering to you so that has that went on for several years and it's funny that i just need to say that just last summer i was given a new name so I'm not necessarily, it's like my new name is Shkotekwe, which means firewoman in Anishinaabe. And I at first thought, oh, I carry two names. I carry two names. And I do. But I also felt that the grandmothers went, you're not a granny yet. 
uh, go be your fiery self. You got to go perform and dance and live in the fire for a bit. So I, I, um, it's like the grandmothers were, had been fanning the flame of firewoman. And I went, oh, because if I do everything in fours, if I do everything in fours, which I do, right? The, the medicine wheel, I am four. Like if you think grandmother wind is, is the element of air and fire is the element of fire. And of course I work with water and earth a lot. So I went, oh my gosh, I'm all four. So who, who's, who am I now? What's this phase of my life? And so right now I'm assuming that firewoman is taking over from grandmother wind at the moment. So um, my, I've been deaf, you know, the sacred feminine learning lodge is all coming from firewoman. And so the, so messages from the patchwork grandmothers are just going to morph to come from the sacred feminine learning lodge. Isn't that wow, funny? That's amazing. So it's like, I have had to walk into each name and the first one was the hardest for me because I went, I'm not an elder. Who do I think I am? Everyone's going to think I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, elders don't care about that. You've got to step into who you are. Mm. And now again, I have to be willing to shift. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, am I allowed to just let a name go? Like, how does this work? Right. <laughs> but I have to be brave enough to make a change. Right. So. Wow. Yeah. The, they were fanning your flame. Whoa. right <laughs> right oh my gosh listen thank you for sharing a lot of that um in regards to the inspiration behind the patchwork grandmothers um i love that series and i'm going to spend a little bit more time watching some more of those because they're so therapeutic and i just i appreciate the fact that you create that kind of content and that you share it publicly um mm -hmm. i think that I wanted to also highlight on that on that note is we can use social media for good. And I think there's a taboo um, kind of perspective that sometimes our indigenous people um, tiptoe around, you know, because what's culturally sensitive, what should be public, what shouldn't, especially when you're talking about spirit and ceremony and stuff like that. So I appreciate that you've used your YouTube channel in such a good way uh, to share and channel those messages from the patchwork grandmothers. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, so thank you again for that. But I wanted to, I guess, go into a transition. I wanted to spend the rest of our time here talking about um, the sacred feminine, the rise of the sacred feminine. Do you remember when and where you were when you started receiving that vision? You know, you know, when the day hits, when everything falls into place, because when you remember the day, when you look back and go, I've been doing this forever. Right. Hmm. I didn't know it, but I've been doing this forever. Oh, you know what I mean? Um, those, like I said, I love those moments when every, all the piece of, pieces just all of a sudden go click. Right. Oh, I didn't know there were pieces of that. I mean, I should know that because it always works that way. The rise of the sacred feminine was a way for me to put um, a circle or a, a title or a world around all the ways I wanted to change the world. I didn't know why I, you know, because I've, if, if I, like I said earlier, all the things that need to come back into the circle, all the things that were left out of the systems need to come back in. And if you think of what those are, I've been a voice somehow in some way for all of them. 
you know, as a singer, I started creating and wanting to create positive music as though, you know, I, I coined the term music messenger before I heard the term positive music, because now there, there's, there's a whole positive music movement. But I didn't know where I could create music that, that um, people were responsible, but like the songwriter was responsible with the words they used, that some people are, are they care what they put in their body, right? But music, they weren't caring what was going in their ears. And all the victim, lust, revenge, blame, all that stuff was just feeding our ears way too much. And so, you know, again, that was music messenger, but to me, that was the rise of the sacred feminine, but I didn't know it, you know, and then there's over here wanting like deeply connecting to um, urban gardens and, and farmers markets and, and caring about the earth and eating vegetables. And, you know, that's people who were nurturing the planet and, and buying local and buying sustainable products. That was the rise of the sacred feminine, mm. you know, and then there was, you know, my stories that I created and songs and, and uh, it, they all made sense. All, you know, and of course the rise of, of um, ending violence against women, all of those things all of a sudden came together into a one circle that I went, this is, this is all the rise of the sacred feminine. This is everything I am. And of course, nobody told me that, but like, again, when we talked about dreams, no one's going to tell you your dreams audience, you know, your dreams are going to be whispered to you and given to you and you have to interpret them you have to find, figure out what those clues mean <laughs> but that's the creative process right that's the puzzle the fun of of listening mm. and for me those puzzles came you know those clues came together with the sacred feminine learning lodge and i have been so inspired to finally have uh, a clear path of what that looks like. I'm now here to help others get in touch with their sacred feminine by going inward, by learning to respect their feelings, by learning how to access their voice, their creativity, and uh, to break down some of the systems by breaking down our own habits. So is that, Incredible. that's a long winded answer. But oh, I loved it. No, I love it. I think any opportunity to share about the rise of the sacred feminine is an important conversation to have uninterrupted. So I appreciate you uh, explaining a lot of that and where the intentions come from and where your visions come from and how it all came full circle. I think that's so important. And so my follow-up question to that one, I'll, I'll ask you just two more questions and we'll finish up. Um, what can men do to support the rise of the sacred feminine? Great question, great question. Um, Okay, so there's a, there's a two-part answer. From what I'm hearing from all the elders that I've been talking to who are using this language, a lot of them are saying it's the time of woman. And I would go, okay, yeah, because there's the rise of the sacred feminine, there's the time of woman. And I'm going to acknowledge that and say it is the time for women to take the lead on that that we carry the womb of creation within our bodies and the creation, um, the, the, the harmony that exists in creation exists in the womb if we allow it, if we learn how to share it with our men, with our children, with the whole circle. 
So it is the time of woman. So women need to find within them the courage to lead during this time. They're going to be called to rise up to who you are meant to be. So that's one thing. So men can honor that journey of the woman. This is the woman's time to lead because they know exactly what needs to be done. In the old times, I've, I, an elder said to me, women were the, dis, the ones who dispersed the fund, the money, the, the food, the belongings, so that the men would bring it to the circle and it would be distributed by the women because the women knew the, different, the, the specific needs of the entire community. The woman knew where it needed to go. So the fact that the men are holding on to the funds right now is why it's not going all to the, all the right places. Wow. Because women know that intuitively. They know where it needs to go. These the elders, the children, education, the health, you know, we just know. And the women's of, uh, women of communities know that in all communities of all globes, <laughs> of all across the globe. So there's a imbalance in that. So if, if men support women and, and maybe help those funds travel to the right people, because they, they will be distributed evenly to the places that needs to go, which will create balance. So that's one way that men can help. Love that. Helping men or helping the women. But men, what you can do yourselves is to honor your own sacred feminine. You're not, and that does not mean you're female. It means you have a sacred feminine. Every single part of life has a sacred feminine and a sacred masculine. And your sacred feminine is your emotional nature, is your nurturing nature, is your compassionate nature, is your intuitive nature, is your creative nature, collaborative. And those need to grow in you. They need to be honored in you. And, and we feel for you because we know that you have not been honored for those skills. When you showed them, you were bashed down, you were ridiculed, you were shamed. And we know that this is, this is violence at its worst because that part of you is, your, is very, very sacred. It's part, of every, it's part of every single human. It's sacred in every human. And in order for the world to start honoring those qualities, you as individuals need to start owning and honoring that quality in you, which means you will start now honoring your children that way. So this is a, this is a message to all human beings is that those, those parts of your nature have been the you know, unpopular parts of, the, of our personality, right? They're the ones that are kind of the unpopular kid on the block. But we gotta, we gotta make room for those parts of ourselves because that's where our wisdom lies. That's where our our communal force lies mm. and the other parts have just been overdeveloped. There's nothing wrong with drive and determination and logic and analy analyzing and systems, nothing wrong with those if they have been balanced with the sacred feminine, but a lot of the systems have not been, they've tried over the years, but they have not, they, they weren't built that way. So there's nothing wrong with those skills. But if they've been overdeveloped, that means that other things have been underdeveloped. So let's just develop those other parts. Let's get balanced. Let's get balanced. Human beings are meant to do this, right? Nice. And if you look at the sacred, you could also, you know, 
a lot of people say, oh, sacred feminine teachings is kind of like indigenous teachings. I went, exactly. But not everyone can say I'm indigenous, but everyone, every single person can say I have a sacred feminine. So that's why I'm really using that term because everyone can acknowledge that within them and grow it. That is so significant. And the simple first step you're recommending is to tap into your own sacred feminine. And the more of us allow that to grow is the better off we can allow the rise of the sacred feminine to take place. Yeah. A movement only happens with one individual and another individual and another individual and another one and another one. And all of a sudden you have a society that has changed Mm. because something that was popular before is just, ah, can't believe you used to live like that. (laughs) You know, and and your generation, we already see that in yours. You guys put up with, you guys look at us like, you guys put up with that shit? Are you insane? Like, we don't believe that. I mean, it's beautiful to watch, but just think of what that your children are going to be thinking about you. Wow. Individuals, individuals make up a movement. That is so amazing. <laughs> Yo, honestly, this is incredible. Okay, I got one more question for you, Andrea. It's going to be a hard one, but I think it's an important way for us to end. Okay. What does the next seven generations look like to you? And I'm saying that in the sense of like, if you could paint a picture of the future, what would it look like to Andrea? Oh. Baby, I like that question a lot. No war. No war. And I mean war in the little sense and the big sense. I think we are going to birth children that think it is ridiculous. And that means the violence that is within us right now, in, trapped in our lineages. Remember, I don't think that is necessarily human nature i think it's trapped collective trauma and that means every human being and every nation on this planet has suffered horrific trauma and the the settlers that came to this land they brought their trauma with them you know so it's every nation on this planet have suffered trauma and so to me you know looking at if we're going to look seven generations i'm like mm-hmm, let's go big let's go let's big. go oh, let's go i like I'm right here with you i love it i see us birthing generations of children who go grow wearier and wearier and wearier of violence of any kind i mean violence violent thoughts violent um lateral violence um, violent words, violent actions, which means that compassion will build, compassion will grow, collaboration will grow, reconciliation will just be a natural part of the children we're birthing, because it takes long time for for humans to evolve. It takes a while. It takes generations. So when we're talking seven generations, I go. <gasps> We can do this. We can imagine individuals like the rise of the sacred feminine. Imagine one 
a family at a time who heal their collective trauma so that the children born to that next, that particular family don't have it. They have a clean lineage. Could you imagine? <laughs> so do your work people because you don't know what you're paving the way for, for the children to come do your inner work. It's the only game in town. Oh my God. <laughs> yes, Andrea. Whoa. I could see that. And right? I, could see, you know what I love about the way you said it is that it feels tangible. It's doable. Start with your healing, the, the trauma within your own family. And when you raise those, that next generation, when you have kids heal that trauma so that the next generation is stronger as a result, like, that is heal it in you, right? Heal it in you. That's the only person you can heal it in. Right. The children will automatically come in cleaner because of the work you did. Oh, damn. So do your work. It's so worth oh. it. So oh worth my it. God. <laughs> Whew, I got goosebumps right now. <laughs> That's <her>. amazing. <laughs> okay. I have to share mine though. And I can do it in one word. Yes. Oh gosh. Matri mine was not one Matri word matriarch Ooh. that's the future that's mm. the next seven generations and beyond run by women Full stop. Ooh. i like that andrea thank you again so much for joining us on this no blueprint series Thank you for your patience and taking the time to navigate all these different technologies all at the same time so we could share our story with the broadest audience possible. But I cannot thank you enough for taking your time, especially during these COVID times, to join us here today to share your story, to share your truth and allow me to get a, a peek behind the curtain to help humanize, you know, a lot of these experiences in the entertainment industry and just hear from you. I'm, I'm so grateful. So thank you again for being here, Andrea. Justin, you are one heck of a host. Thank you for receiving. See, there's that sacred feminine receiving this, you know, uh, creating a sacred space for to receive uh, a good message and a good conversation between the two of us. I love you, my brother. Yes, love you too. Thank you. And uh, yes, I, I hope we'll cross paths soon. And uh, I guess that's it for now. So thank you again. Bye, everyone. Wash Bye. day. <laughs>